Podicumens, and welcome to another episode of the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. How you guys doing? Howdy ho, neighbors! <laughs> <laughs> Jim, Jim, how you doing? Hey, I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. Awesome. 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 Well, we're so glad to, to be back once again with this episode and excited about what uh, we're getting to talk about uh, today. And I guess I really should say, maybe it's bad that I'm excited to be talking about what we're talking about today. I, I don't know. What, what, uh, hold on. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running, running a little late today. Brett, what precisely are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking Can about- Can you summarize it in one word? Oh, uh, let's see. Hold on. Let me go to my lexicon. All right. Thesaurus. All right. All right. Uh, hell. Hell is what we're- uh, Watch hell. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Hell. So, um, and that won't be the complete topic of the day, but that really is a large portion of what we will be talking about is hell. Um, so, uh, but we are glad to be back together with our Podakesis community. And I uh, just want to invite you to uh, leave a five-star review on Apple, uh, to hit us up on social media. Uh, we also want to let you know of a, uh, a spinoff, if you want to call podcast or a devotional podcast. That's what I've been calling it, a devotional podcast of the Podakesis podcast, and that is the Daily Psalms podcast. Um, this is a podcast that it, it takes about five minutes of your time. Um, we want you to read one of the Psalms, and there's a little about three to five minute devotional piece that goes along with each Psalm, and you can find us um, on Apple and Spotify or at on Podbean, which is where we host our podcast, um, and that is the Daily Psalms podcast. The Daily Psalms podcast. We'll have a link for it, for it in the... Show no 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 we are getting so fancy we like I a know, podcast I know. network i mean the podicesis podcast network Man, i think we're about goodness. to put gimlet to shame let's uh, go let's go <laughs> gimlet <laughs> Yes, a podcasting network. Oh, I know. I was thinking of Wondery, but uh yeah, same idea, same idea. Mm-hmm. But anyway, hit us up it's on great. social it's hit great. Us up Y'all on... take a listen. It's a great, uh, I keep interrupting you, Brad, <laughs> but it's, it's real. it's really great. I hope that y'all could take a listen. Even, even if, uh, even if you can't do it all the time, you can catch up because they'll yeah. stay up online. It's fantastic. Yeah. We're just going to leave it up and you just can hit it whenever you can. And, um, I'm going to try to put them up once a day, um, through Monday through Friday and until all 150 go up. So um, 150, 150. So, uh, pretty excited about that. Um, but again, hit us up on social media at Podakesis at on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on Instagram, and you can leave your comments there. You can also uh, send us emails, questions at podakesis.com. And you can also call us and I'll tell you more about the calling, um, toward the end of the episode. Uh, but we are hitting up actually two questions today. Um, two questions from John Wesley's revision of the shorter catechism and and this is going to bring to an end our kind of long series that we've been doing on sin and what sin is, what original sin is, our fallen nature, all of that. We're coming to uh, a place of ending talking about that, and we will be going into the, the direction of redemption and of Jesus and of the cross and resurrection. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the show, but that's where we are. We're coming to the end of this uh, time of talking about sin. And I know for me, this has been, you know, five episodes. It's been kind of deep, and it's been, but it's been also real reflective for me, kind of going back and thinking about not only our fallen nature, but also the hope that we have in Christ uh, during these times. And so uh, those questions we're going to be dealing with today, um, question 19 from the Catechism, what is the misery of the estate in which man fell? You know, I read that book. I think Stephen King wrote it. Um, There was a good movie about it. It's very scary. Okay. Misery. I think misery. I'm oh. not quite sure that is. No, is that not what we're talking about? I don't think it's not what we're talking yeah. about. Okay. Well, then yeah. what we need is we need somebody on our podcast who knows the answer to yeah. the question. Well, who could that be? It what just is so the happens. misery of the estate into which man fell? If it's not what I thought, what is it? The answer is that all mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse. And so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Mm. 
Wow. It's not something you'd find on a Hallmark card, that's for sure. Um, and then question 20, and this is one of Wesley's redacted questions, uh, meaning that he completely just kind of got rid of it. Um, and the question is, did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? And Alan, if you'll read that answer, the answer, so the question's redacted and the answer's also redacted. And that means that Wesley just chopped it out. Yeah, it got rid of Wesley it. Wesley has got some guts. He yes. said, Westminster Shorter Catechism, you getting shorter. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you getting shorter. You getting shorter. <laughs> the shorter, shorter catechism. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the answer that he that he took out was that God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. Yes. So the big issue there is election, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But let's go ahead and hit up question 19, question and answer 19. Again, what is the misery of that estate into which man fell? All mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. And as always, we like to go to the scriptures right off the top. And so we've got actually quite a few today. Um, and so we're going to start with the Genesis passages from Genesis chapter three. And uh, I think Jim's got that. Yeah, a few a few selected verses out of Genesis chapter three. It comes uh, right after what we call that original moment of sin. Uh, I'll read, uh, say, starting in verse eight. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that verse by itself kind of is an illustration of this first misery out of which all humankind falls, and it says that they lost communion with God. And so that illustrates uh, that very well. Uh, So moving on to a couple other verses. but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Uh, further down into verse 24, um, this is after the Lord God curses first uh, the serpent and then the woman and then the ground and then Adam himself. He says that. I'll start in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Mm. And so you have, you have in this moment, the effects of sin uh, happen at first without God even being present. It, it just is a breaking of communion. Uh, back in the day, I, I hear, you know, they used to walk together in the cool of the day. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. now yeah. Adam and Eve are ashamed and yeah. also unable to remain in paradise yeah, that that comment of banish them or, or drove them out mm-hmm. is that that really stuck uh, stuck out to me in reading this passage. Um, it's powerfully uh, poignant for me to mm. to just think of this uh, being driven out, being cast out, being thrown out of the very presence of God, and then to kind of turn around and see the entrance blocked like you can't it's like oh no he just changed the locks on me <laughs> and it was yeah. yes he did i went home and you had called the locksmith bye I mean. felicia <laughs> oh wow her name her oh. name's eve alan oh, it's eve. It's eve. eve eve yes yeah eve. It's not so I, eve. <laughs> I picked up i picked up an earlier verse in in this uh reading because it has always been interesting to me um that after all that God says, well, you think you're naked. Let me make you some garments. Garments, some yeah. Skin. And the, the first kind of sacrifice, is, like, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The sad thing is, is that uh, it's now going to take the life of other living beings right. to even cover the shame of people, but God does it for the sake of uh, right. whatever he does it for. But it's a graceful feeling act. 
and then casts them out. Right. Interestingly enough, Wesley would say about this verse, um, kind of some notes he would make on this verse, that humanity was only sent to a place of toil, not a place of torment. Um, right. he's, he's talking about, uh, and, and he would also, interestingly, he would say that this would ensure their genuine humanity instead of a lesser option, which would be miserable immortality. So mm-hmm. this idea of being cast out, you can still be fully who you were created to, as a, the created being, uh, you know, you still have the free choice, you still need to choose to be obedient, but anything else would be to keep you in the garden, but because of your disobedience, you would have to, uh, there would, the punishment there would be almost be making you into making you something lesser than you were created to be. Um, it's an interesting uh, concept there by Wesley in his notes on, um, on this passage. Well, and, and, and even in, you know, I know we got it. We're, we need to be focused on sin and hell and misery in this episode, but even in we're that, we're doing a good job of it. I know, right? There's, um, there's, um, there's grace in yeah. that. Um, they're, they're, they're not completely destroyed. They are, they are cast out, which is not good. Right. Um, and even in like the, the first that Jim read, um, God, God comes to them and says, where are you? He is, he is seeking them out. Um, and he's not, he's not saying, what have you done? You know, he's not shaming, but he, he's looking for them. Um, and, and, and we'll see that throughout the rest of scripture. Um, God, God looking after us, but let's get back to sin and hell. Yeah. So, and just real quick, it is also important to know as much as, as much as I love the lenient grace moments, especially, you know, we both brought up here, um, that the righteousness of God does require, uh, the same way that you know, a court requires uh, consequences for those actions which are unjust, and it would be unjust of God. It would be against God's character and would not show righteousness uh, not to then respond to the mm-hmm. disobedience of the first humans. This sure. losing the presence of God, by the way, or losing being able to have, be in the presence of God would be perhaps some of the... Um, uh, the forerunners of concepts of that we get translated into hell kind of generally in the Old Testament, but concepts of Sheol, um, Abaddon, the pit, the grave, these kind of words. Uh, N.T. Wright in his book, uh, The Resurre- Resurrection of the Son of God, um, says that uh, these terms of Sheol, Abaddon, the grave, the pit, um, the dark, deep regions, the land of forgetfulness, these almost interchange these almost interchangeable terms denote a place of gloom and despair, a place where one can no longer enjoy life and where the presence of Yahweh himself is withdrawn. And so that would will become the key to this understanding of hell, I think. Personally, I think that, you know, we we get so caught up in kind of the imagery of things uh, from the Old Testament going even into the New Testament, you know, fire, torment, gnashing of teeth, which are important. That That's part of the imagery that we is in, in Scripture. But the ultimate thing seems to be this idea of the presence of God is not there. Like there's just that is you're, you're, you're not in God's presence anymore. And we start seeing that here, um, even in this Genesis passage. All right. Um, I'm going to read, uh, go to Ephesians. Um, and uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Mm. And uh, that speaks to uh, the idea of us being under God's wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and deserving of it, right? Like, right, and certainly due to, due, due to our state of sin. Right. And that that's, you know, <laughs> I read this uh, in the Wesley's one volume commentary of the Bible. Uh, there was this comment, the, uh, the scholar who wrote that uh, the piece here for Ephesians, uh, she said, there is no middle ground in Paul's theology. A person either lives in a way that is pleasing to God or lives in one that brings judgment and destruction. 
and so there, there's just really no, you know, lukewarmness here in Paul's eyes. It's either you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, or you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that not doing is. It, there's consequences, as Jim had said. There are consequences to this that bring about uh, destruction uh, to to our lives spiritually and um, even physically. So I have the Galatians chapter 3 passage. This is going to be Galatians 3, the verses of verse 10, but I'll just, I'll read through verse 14 here. So uh, chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 10 through 14 of Galatians. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who who is hanged from on, on a tree. So that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Uh, Galatians 3 is so interesting because it does set up almost this sense of Abraham versus Moses. Abraham becomes this uh, symbol, this uh, archetype for faith, um, whereas Moses will become this symbol or archetype for the law. And this idea, at least for um, in in Paul's eyes, is he's wanting to show, I guess he's, my, my, my understanding here is he's speaking to the Gentiles coming in, and so that there's no reason for them to become Jewish or followers of the law before they become Christian, that the idea here is salvation is through faith in Christ or obedience to Christ, uh, uh, giving their lives to Jesus. They don't have to become something before they become followers of Jesus. And so he's setting up this argument against the law, against really uh, what the law was supposed to do, not do, and what it's perceived to be su- supposed to accomplish. It's a very interesting argument there in Galatians um, uh, that uh, demands deeper study, I think. Yeah. And a lot of times when, when we talk about uh, works, uh, not being saved by works, et cetera, et cetera. In our popular discourse, what we're mistaking out of the Bible is the Bible is talking very particularly about becoming an observant yeah. first century Jew and following the laws of Moses, right. not so much good deeds or right. uh, practicing the means of grace and, and works of piety. He's right. talking about following those laws, such as circumcision and food laws and uh, right. carrying a shovel outside of your campsite. Look that one up. It's fun. <laughs> um, and things of that nature. So we can, things like that, we really do need to dig in a little bit deeper yeah. to make sure that we're getting the context. That's my little side note on yeah. biblical reading for the day. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, Paul will write in Romans and Galatians and other places about the weakness of the law, um, but he's doing this in such a way uh, to show uh, really just how Jesus, faith in Christ, is what brings about transformation for all people. For right. for, for well, everyone. And when Christ says that He has come to fulfill the law, right. It, right. it doesn't mean just to take away the need for it, but right. mean to do what it always had accomplished right. and do exactly. it effectively. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So now we're going to go to a book that uh, probably has not been preached much in many pulpits. Uh, it is a very interesting uh, book. We're going to go to Lamentations chapter three, and Jim, I think you've got that. Hey, I'd love if anybody listening has preached or heard a sermon on Lamentations recently, put it in our comments. I'd love to yes, see it. Please. Um, it's just simply a one verse proof in Lamentations, verse three, chapter three, verse 39. Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Mm. <laughs> Why should the, so it's kind of like one of them gotcha questions. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. You had it coming, boy. So Wesley, in his notes on Lamentations 3.39, says, Nothing has befallen them, humanity, but Mm -hmm. what was the just reward for their sins. That's his thinking on this. Wesley had this deep understanding about sin that it's, it's our responsibility. We're responsible for our actions, our inactions, our disobedience. Um, 
my understanding of Wesley, my reading of Wesley is one that if you went up to him and started making excuses, you know, um, well, you just don't know the upbringing I've had, or you don't know the issue, you know, all of this, like if you just started laying out excuse after excuse, Wesley wouldn't have any time for that. Uh, he, this is, you, you, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. And so this is what lamentation is getting. Why should a person complain about the punishment for their sins? That is, uh, <laughs> that's I yeah. feel like the scripture is meddling a little bit right now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it just There's, needs to go on about his business. <laughs> There's a little bit of, um, and I think this is, this is a popular Christian psychologist, uh, by popular, I mean, at the popular level, yeah. Henry cloud calls it the law of reaping and so sowing and reaping in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, and that, one thing that I do appreciate about One Lamentations is a beautiful book, but a question like this is it resituates the, like you had said, the responsibility back on us as actors and stewards. Remember, one of the original designs of humanity was to be a steward of all creation. And that involves being a steward of oneself right. and one's own actions. And um, that means that we take care and that we take responsibility for all of those things which are entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. And we do have, I think, when we talk about things like God's wrath and punishment for sin and hell, we have a really projectionist bent or uh, in, in discussions to say, well, why would God do that? Oh, yeah. With the assumption that we are generally good, morally neutral, or the same as we've always been, and God is the one deciding to do mean things to us. Right, right. And part of that might come, let's, let's be really honest, like if you are living your life right now, no knowledge of God, and you generally feel a sense of ease about your life, and then come to find out that you are in sin because your mind has not been enlightened to what could be in your life. And you hear, well, that is sin. The wages of sin is death. Here comes God wrath, God's wrath that I can see where that would come out being very, very jarring. Now, the yeah. other end of that is it creeps its way on into the church where like we talked about in a previous episode, uh, we don't call anything sin anymore, and to name things as sin becomes judgmental because we have misunderstood what Christ said when he said, do not judge, and we should go back and read some First Corinthians, mm -hmm. and we don't like it when anybody calls out, not that we should be talking, hey, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, but just to name sin. Oh, yeah, right. And so we we do need to resituate, and I don't like it either because— I don't like taking responsibility for my own consequences either. Right. Um, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. At minimum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's true. Uncomfortable. It and really that's why is. we don't like, that's why we don't like talking about it. So. Absolutely. Well, and just, you know, you've got things going on. Like um, uh, there's been at least two l prominent religious figures in the past few months. Um, I believe the, one of the gentlemen's name was Carl Lentz, who yeah. was Justin Bieber's pastor. Um, luckily, I believe that from what I've read, the church took it there pretty quickly, but there's a lot of like distancing, non-apology apologies. You look back at, uh, the Robbie Zacharias stuff coming out and I don't know what to make of it. I'm not making assessments listeners, but all I can do is notice the pattern that we see in a lot of these, um, situations where there's a lot of distancing, a lot of consequence reduction, and a lot of non-apology apologies. Mm -hmm. I just got done reading a book called A Church Called Tove, mm -hmm. which is discussing a lot of um, dealing with sin in the system of the church. And what I'm saying is there's a lot of, even from leaders and especially so, it wasn't that bad, or let me remove myself from things that might cause me consequences. And that's dangerous. Well, right. you know, we're we're in the week of Ash Wednesday as we're recording this. We're gonna. This is, comes out during the season of Lent, and I mean, Ash Wednesday and Lent is it's about repentance. It's about um, confessing, confessing, and and uh, confession, and naming your sins. And um, we 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 dad dad doesn't feel good, and it doesn't um, makes us uncomfortable because we're not used to it. Um, and, uh, but you know, one of the things I've heard recently is that God can't do anything with the person you're pretending to be. Mm. Um, mm. God can't do anything with the person you're pretending to be. And so until we are ready to confess, to name, to call out, 
our sins, which I think this question sort of gets, you know, this, this verse from Lamentations is, like you said, is reorienting us, um, uh, you know, until we're ready to be honest, God can't, God's going to have a hard time. Uh, well, the catechism it. tells us what God will do with that. And it's called lost communion under yeah. his wrath and curse, exactly. made right. liable yeah. to all the miseries of his life to death itself in the place of hell forever. Right. right. <laughs> You know, and you know, this whole, the, the Lamentations passage, uh, it comes, I mean, it's a Jer- it's from Jeremiah. Jer- so you've just gotten out of 30 plus, 40 plus chapters in Jeremiah of him uh, t- telling the Jews, hey, Babylon's coming. We need to repent. And for the people around saying, hey, we're okay. We've got the temple. We're okay. We're, we're good to go. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't get to that place of, Confession. So lamentations is the sense of, okay, now the destruction has come. What now? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure at that time period, people are trying to blame and, you know, well, it wasn't my fault. I, you know, I wasn't worshiping Baal. I mean, y'all were, I wasn't doing that. Yeah. It was but, probably the media. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you think, uh, just kind of a sidebar, you, you're bring, you were bringing up, about Zacharias Lentz and others. I mean, we could talk about uh, uh, the um, uh, the guy that was at um, Bill Hybels and others. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the church, the surrounding culture, I guess those are two different things to think to, to to answer this with. But you know, we live in such a just quick to cancel type culture right now, where there just doesn't seem to be any good practice in the around us, maybe even in the church of redemption of like someone does something wrong and we just want to throw them out into the, to the, you know, we just want to get rid of them. Almost like we're throw almost like we're throwing the sin away, but we're doing it by throwing them away too. Yeah. Uh, uh, am, I, am I asking I'll, the right question? There? No, I'll step I into that. I think, I think that, um, the, the term cancel culture is, is is applied far too broadly, and there are things that occur that are natural consequences of people's own actions and the people they're Absolutely. responsible to. Yes, yes. Um, when it comes to, I, I, I love the opportunity to talk about this. I'm very passionate about this subject when it comes to churches. Um, a leader, especially in a faith community, you cannot use the term cancel culture for legitimately handled uh cases of abuse especially or sexual misconduct and say that we don't want to cancel them we're just going to leave them where they are Mm. a process of redemption for a leader in the church who has engaged in sexual indiscretion and abuse of any kind needs to be removed from leadership yeah agreed agreed hands down restoration now this is in my opinion but based on informed study and case study that re- uh, restoration to leadership should never be assumed or on the table as a restoration of the person. Mm-hmm. And in my estimation, people come back into church leadership far too quickly, and you can see other issues underneath that, other psychological needs or needs for affirmation. Yeah. Now, a process of restoration um, will probably not necessarily play out in the public sphere where the fall occurred. Mm. But there does need to be mm-hmm. a sense of cooling the temperatures on general things that people get up in arms about. Um, there does need to be a sense churches and faith communities need to talk about how they can restore people to the fellowship of the body when there are indiscretions, sins, and things of that nature. They don't need to be quick to say, "Don't let's not do cancel culture and just leave our religious leader in a position that they don't need to be in. That's my take on it. Oh, and I, I would actually 100% agree with you. I guess I didn't ask the question. Uh, oh, but I, lo- I, I really enjoyed the chance to express those. Uh, but and I think, and I, I guess the question I have is, do you think sometimes leadership uh, within a, let's say a church, um, is quick to excuse, not excuse, but to start um, obfuscating? Yes. Because of the fear of what our culture is doing whenever there are, you know, can't, I, I, I hate cancel culture too. I, I don't, I, I, that phrase, I don't want to throw I guess what, 
is, no, is, I think I'm hearing what you're saying and I don't want to over talk this episode, but yeah. I'm going to make another couple but comments. I'm going to, so, like, okay, so, so the same way that uh, my three-year-old sees me coming and hides the candy. She's not three anymore, but hides the candy under the blanket. Mm-hmm. We are adults, but we will do the exact same thing when we're about to get caught or when somebody yeah. we're responsible for is about to get caught. Yeah. So here's what you do. You know, in advance as a, as a ministry, as a group of leaders, even as an individual leader, you know that it you do not have what it takes under the fire of being caught to do the right thing. So you set up the system ahead of time mm. and you make sure that you have accountability built into your organizations, even at the smallest churches where outside eyes have the ability uh, to see and will be invited in uh, to audit various things in the life of your church. Um, because even, even like a, an elder board or, um, uh, in some churches it's called, uh, or some kind of leadership council, it's part of their body when they're dealing with something in their church. So build into the system ahead of time, because even those grownups are going to try to hide. Yep. And it's not, it's not that they're dishonest. It's just, that's part of human nature. Now I know we're, we're diving off topic and we can edit this out, but these kinds of things are something that I think the church has seen quite a lot of, and we need to um, help one another do really good work in protecting people and dealing with uh, sin in the life of the congregation. And I think, I think it is just a whole conversation is just a highlight that the consequences of sin as we sort of you know, as this episode ends this section on sin and, and that nobody's immune to it. Um, right, right. Certainly leaders. And we're, and I think there's, there's a danger in seeking public light. Um, because when you fall, it's also done in the public and it does hurt our, the whole Christian witness, not just, not just their witness, not just their churches, but, all of our witness. Um, and, and then the other thing is that I just don't think we have good, we, we just haven't been trained as a church, um, on biblical, um, calling out of sin and, um, biblical ways of handling sin and, um, and also biblical ways of, of, of restoration. Um, and so, um, and, and the sad thing is that the, the, the public falls, uh, we often don't see the restoration um, that takes place because some of that has to do with them and God. And it's, private, and, yeah. um, it's a private thing. Um, and so all we get to see and all we get to focus in on is the fall. Um, and yeah. so anyways, um, yeah, uh, I think and, it's, this is a great discussion. I think it's a good yeah, discussion. And, and I'm going to add to that. The, a lot of times a, a ministry organization has as much responsibility for the fact that it's a public fall than the person who commits the acts. Right. Because um, if you can, and I know I'm generalizing, but I'm thinking about particular cases in my head, they would have never been made public if the system structure and people would have heard, watched, listened, and held somebody accountable long before it ever made public. Yeah. Sometimes the only way that things end up getting addressed is because people have to get loud enough yeah. Yeah. to bring shame so that people will do something. Right. So the churches and the ministry organizations have a lot of say in whether whether it hurts everybody's witness. Now, public management, uh, public image management is not the priority. I hope you don't hear any of us saying that. Right. Um, but yeah. So you may be thinking, what does this have to do with misery and hell? Well, it is misery and hell. I mean, it this is, is it, this is misery and hell for people's lives. This is misery and hell for uh, organizations, leadership, culture. It is, and this very much it's not off topic. It is very much on topic uh, for uh, people involved and organizations involved. And so that's why uh, the I'm glad we had this uh, short little sidebar conversation on this. Yeah, and we'll put a link to a church called Tove in the show notes. Okay. Yes, because absolutely. that is a, a really wonderful book that I would yeah. love a lot of people to read. I've seen a lot of people referencing it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. very good. And Scott McKnight is a great uh, New Testament scholar. So. This is correct. Um, so we are going to now go to a very famous uh, passage, part of the Romans Road. Uh, if you know, you know. So um, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to Alan Kaysen from Romans chapter 6. Well, 
Jim's already stolen it a little bit. He, he used it <laughs> I can't help it that my language is so filled with <laughs> biblical imagery. I just know the Bible so well. It just comes out all the time. Well, you quit impersonating, Brett. It's not very nice. <laughs> all right, Romans 6.23. I'm going to read the whole scripture just because I like, I like some Jesus in there too. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, and I, I think, I do think the focus there is the way the, is for this question is the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, death is misery. And those um, words, those words are so important. Wage, a wage, wage. something you earn, right? Yeah. So you've earned this and we've already hit on this already, but this idea of it's somehow it's God's fault that we're being punished or it's God's fault that we have to, uh, that we're, we're getting in trouble where <laughs> we've earned it. This is exactly, we've put the time in. So well, it's just the excuse making. It goes all the way back to the garden of, uh, um, well, the snake made me do it. And yeah. well, she gave me the fruit and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and that's, you know, and right. We just blame God. So, yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in many ways, what we tend to do is make God in our image, right? Well, God should be like this because we want him to be like this. This is who we think God should be. So he should be this way. It's just, I think, Jim, you said earlier, we project a lot. So mm-hmm. that's what that's what happens. All right. And then we get to go to a really kind of cool yet uh, toe-stepping, if you will, um, uh, passage from Matthew uh, 25, and we're going to look at verses 41 and 46. So, uh, 41 and 46, I'm pulling it up right here. All right. So, this is Jesus. This is the last of the end times discourse he does. He gives like four parables in chapters 24 and 25. There are these four parables and uh, this teaching on end times that Jesus goes through. And this is the very end of the end times discourse. And uh, this is what he says in 41. uh, Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for uh, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also uh, they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it not as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life so we see here that there is this sense of being obedient and not being obedient uh, doing and not doing and that there are consequences to this. Now, to a good Protestant, this might kind of raise the the hackles on the back of your neck a little bit, and where you're thinking, "But I thought we were saved by faith through or by you know by faith you know through grace, and that it was just the grace of God, and and not by our works." How in the world? What? How does this work out? Again, I think Jim, you're hitting right on it. What Paul is really getting at there about not being saved by works is he's <laughs> alluding to the law itself. What, right. What we're dealing with here, we're still to be obedient to the king. We're still to be obedient to Jesus's call on us. You go to, um, you, you read Paul and then you read James, and they may seem like they're opposed to each other, but they're really not because Paul is telling people, this is how you to live your life. James is telling people, this is how you to live your life. There is salvation, of course, in Christ. This is a salvation is offered through God's grace, but it it changes you. It makes you do stuff. It makes you right. live a certain way. You're called to live a certain way. And if you don't, if you say you're a Christian and you're not living like a Christian, you're not a like if it, you know, it, you, there are questions uh, that start popping up here. Yeah. It start, you start asking, the, where are you rooted if the fruit that you're producing exactly. is not? It's, yes. it's like Jesus in the fig tree when the yes. fig tree is not producing and he says, well, I'm going to tear you down. Right. Hey, look, this does bring up uh, an important point. Now, of course, the people that Jesus is likely referring to are Pharisees or religious. Uh, religious um, folks who are following the works of the law, um, and they need to know Jesus. Now, when we talk about knowing Jesus, we talk about salvation, we talk about justification. That's not necessarily the same kind of language that Jesus is using. Um, 
in terms of, but I knew you. Right. So that you have to do a little interpretive work to get from, hey, I accepted Jesus into my heart, and that's me in the passage. But uh, one thing that does bring up that Wesley differs from the catechism in, in big ways is the idea of the perseverance of the saints mm-hmm. versus uh, the need for, as Wesley put it, to endure to the end in order to be saved eternally. Mm-hmm. So the perseverance of the saints means that it's that idea, uh, put very simply, that if you have been justified, that's period, that's it, you will simply be saved, uh, period. And that's the idea that makes people uncomfortable when they come to a passage like this and they say, oh, well, I guess I could not endure to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like bringing up big theological concepts. My goal in every episode <laughs> is to see how many people I can trigger into giving us nasty comments. No, no, but it, it's absolutely true. That's and abs- all of the Tulip folks are coming after me this week. Bring it on. Well, they were predestined to them. come after us. So. Oh, let's not make too many jokes. Why not? You know. So, um, so before we get on to the next question, question 20, because there is some uh, stuff there that we do need to talk about. Let's talk about this question 19 and why it matters and and some of the important terms that come out in this like to lose communion to uh endure the wrath and curse of god uh to go through the miseries of life i mean that phrase itself um to deal with death that death becomes a thing now um and then there's hell the pains of hell this separation from god um, Joe Donjel, a New Testament professor at Asbury Seminary, uh, talks about this as uh, talks about death kind of entering into the world after the fall, um, and he uses the he uses the imagery of a think of a a many tentacled death monster that has come alive, and that each tentacle represents something that can draw you know something that can hook into you. Uh, it can be sin. It can be the demonic. It can be natural disasters. It can be uh, illnesses. It can be, I mean, just all these things that draw in to itself and draw that, that draw you into itself. And it's, and, and when Jesus in the gospels, particularly in Mark, like you can see this all over Mark, Jesus is taking on each one of those tentacles before the resurrection, before he takes on death itself. You know, he's casting out the demons, he's healing the sick, he's quieting the storms, he's uh, doing all these things, hitting the death monster at every point. And I just love that image. It really kind of came alive to me, almost thinking of like this kind of Kraken type character. <laughs> <laughs> Release the Kraken. Um, again, those who know, know. So yeah. uh, anyway, so uh, this idea though, but then Jesus will culminate. Um, uh, it, it, well, there'll be the climax of the Jesus story will be him destroying death itself. Uh, as uh, you know, uh, canceling the pa- or, or, or taking on the power of canceled sin itself, and so um, it, it, very, very interesting. And we hit was, on the. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was just I was looking at this the miseries of life. You, you yeah. kind of mentioned it. Um, I think it's important for us as the church to remind ourselves that that when we view the world's problems. We, we have to view it from Genesis 3, from, from, from the fall, from that we're all in a state of sin. Yeah. And that right. um, when we forget that, when we forget that th- th- that's where the miseries of life come from, um, then the solution, our solutions will never measure up. They, they, they lose power when we right. forget... Um, um, where they all come from. Now, listen, there's, there's always a need to to fight for justice and, and there's all kinds of ways to go about doing that. There's all kinds of ways to seek healing for the mind, the body, the soul, all the, all these kinds of things that they, that are God given. Um, but we can't forget that, that the problems of this world come from being in a state of sin and, mm-hmm. and, and only then will we realize there's a way for redemption. We'll, we'll get to uh, in our in next episodes. But mm-hmm. um, and then I guess I think about the communion and and, um, and I don't want to gloss over the idea of hell. And I think we've mentioned this, but um, there are certainly images of of 
that, that Jesus speaks to, that the scriptures speak to of, of fire and all this other things. Um, but for me, the greatest thing is that we will experience eternal um, separation from the father. That mm-hmm. is, that is hell. Um, and um, we experience that here on earth until we are made right through Christ. But um, if, if that doesn't happen, then, then we experience that forever. Um, and that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe what? that's where the phrase comes from. Yeah, oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, yes. Yeah. So wrath and wrath and hell, uh, in my mind, could have some connection. Um, there's there's a part of us that part of me that wants to um ask how much are we anthropomorphize anthropomorphizing God when we talk about God's emotions. Mm-hmm. Um and what could wrath be? Would it be that God is so angry he has to send his son down and kill him for us so that we can um, be okay? I feel better after I kick the dog. Um, (laughs) Except that Jesus is God and willingly chose. So so, uh, there's a part of that. But there's also the idea that wrath comes apart, just comes to people simply by what state they approach God in. God Mm -hmm. is holy, and therefore his presence is either going to welcome the holy, go read Leviticus and all the ways that God Mm -hmm. seeks to make people holy, and then afterwards Moses is allowed inside the tent. Yes, right. Um, And then look what happens when the unholy comes in contact with the righteousness of God. It gets annihilated. Like those two poor guys who accidentally touched the ark on the way back um, in the Old Testament. They just fell over and died. So a part of it is, I wonder if it's part of the nature of God and the nature of goodness and the nature of what the profane is for their contact to feel like wrath. Mm -hmm. I I actually think that's that's well put because... Um, I've been thinking a lot. Um, so did you ever read, this was back in, I think, 2009 or so, uh, Rob Bell's book, Love Wins? Yeah. Um, it, was, it was really popular because it was really controversial. Yeah. And ultimately... That's, that's, that's what got him his Oprah channel show, I It think. was. Ultimately, what happens is Rob Bell uh, publishes this book that questions the doctrines of hell and uh, God... Uh, can you know the wrath of God being a real thing and 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 separation from God because in his estimation God is love and God would not because of his love and because of the work of Christ on the cross and just, it basically becomes a modern day universalist type way of looking sure. at things it really does now can I say one word just on the side on this um, I read that book having known what his argument was going to be but I read it anyway because I knew I wouldn't agree with him. I knew that he probably would not in the book convince me of his argument, but I read the book anyway because it was popular and it was out in the news, and I felt like as a uh, as a uh, pastor, I need to know these because people are going to ask me, and I'm it's not good enough for us to say, well, I haven't read it because I don't agree with it, and it's also not good enough for us to uh, talk about somebody's argument if we haven't read it. Uh, to say oh, that book is just this is awful, but no, have you read? No, I haven't read it. No, read read books that you don't agree with. Read read thoughts that you don't agree with. Um, it, read things that make you mad, because it'll make you think better about what you do believe in and how you're able to articulate that, how you're able to get that across. So uh, don't just read things that you agree with, because that, after that, it's just you know you're not learning anything. There's no growth. Right, everybody, read words. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in addition, uh, that brings me to this thought of of hell and its existence, right. because throughout Christian history, there's been um, I would I think it's three or four general outlooks on what hell right. is. Right. One of them is uh, a more traditional understanding, where it is either a place or a state. Right. Okay. So there there might be actual place where all these souls go. And there's a lot of scriptural support that 
speaks of it being some right. kind of locale. Um, a lot of a lot of the church also said, well, this is also this state of torment or state of separation. Mm-hmm. I really love. Um, I believe it comes out of the Eastern Orthodox tradition where misery and or hell is about how close or far you are away from God. Mm. So uh, as you are closer to God, that is heaven in its degrees. And the farther away you are from God, that is hell in its degrees. Mm -hmm. And that is torment in and of itself. Um, And so that's neat. So another, uh, another way is, is just, everything ceases to exist. There mm-hmm. is no hell. Those who are um, die or, or in sin and judged to be, you know, in sin, uh, simply cease to exist at some point. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then the other is universalist. Mm-hmm. That's the, it's the love wins proposition. Right. And, and that even has some nuance. And, you know, I, w- I wouldn't just go around rejecting things without engaging them critically mm-hmm. um to understand what it is helps you clarify your own points mm-hmm. but there's a part of universalism that says uh, you might call it even reformationism that at some point those who are being punished may be given the opportunity to repent and return that's the jerry walls mm. uh point so and let me t- so that i'm glad you mentioned that because that's I did different wanna... from the roman catholic idea of purgatory, purgatory. by the way but walls calls it purgatory. So this is uh, the idea. So Jerry Walls was a longtime uh, philosophy of Christian religion professor at Asbury Seminary. Now he's a philosophy of religion professor at Houston Baptist uh, University. And um, he is, uh, his whole career has been um, on um, the concept of hell and, 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 and this. Um, his first book, which was a uh, came out of his dissertation at Notre Dame, um, was held the logic of damnation, um, a, an incredible, uh, sounds like a delightful fella. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and then he wrote a follow-up book called heaven, the logic of eternal joy. Oh, there you go. Um, and then he, his, uh, and then another, and then kind of completing the trilogy, he wrote purgatory, the logic of total transformation. Now, um, and then he, on a popular level, and I'm going to link to all this in the show notes, but on a popular level, he took those academic works and he made them popular, uh, made them in language that lay people can, can uh, read and, and grasp. Um, he took them and he, and it, into one volume called, um, heaven, hell, and purgatory, rethinking the things that most matter. And, um, it's great, but all three, all four of those books are really, really good. They're thought provoking. Um, he is the, he is a Protestant Wesleyan, uh, conservative Orthodox Christian, um, who, teaches purgatory, who thinks Mm. purgatory is logically consistent with the scriptural uh, with the scriptural revelation and with um, God's nature and theology and all this. And he really uh, takes on kind of C.S. Lewis's famous view of purgatory from an Anglican point of view um, that he would write about in, um, oh, what was the name of that book? Um, Oh my god. I gosh. don't recall, but you can put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I'll find it. It's um it wasn't a grief observed that was about a death of his wife, but it was uh um I'll find it and I'll Was it I'll, one of his other ones? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, he it. takes that idea of purgatory as being this time this period where you don't lose your free will at your death. That this there's time where you can still uh come to this place of obedience to Jesus and, um, and, uh, and hell itself. Now he does teach eternal torment and eternal mm-hmm. hell, um, because there are those who would never do that. Right. And there's so- also, there's also, I, I, I would want to go back and look at that. But the classic understanding of purgatory is the state in which a believer is fully cleansed after their death for many remaining sin. It very much has Roman Catholic vibes yes, to very it. Much so, very much um, so. But there's also the idea that there could be an instant purgation or purging. Yes. The whole idea being, uh, logically, it, it seems it seems like a neat step, um, but whether it follows with the Roman Catholic theology or not is up to people. And I know there's a lot of anti-Roman Catholic stuff going out in the world and people yeah. should listen more. But um the idea being that God is holy and heaven right. is only for holy things. And if 
we are not fully cleansed, then there needs to be, how does that work logically? And for the Wesleyan Christian, the idea is to strive for uh, Christian perfection in this life. Um, So classic purgatory would be different from being able to repent and achieve salvation after death, though I don't know if that's what Walls is talking about. Yeah, so Walls will t- would take almost kind of the sanctification stuff from Wesley and kind of classic Christianity and kind of marry it all together into mm-hmm. his purgatory teaching. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. I would tell y'all, let me just flat out just say, I do not agree with Jerry Walls on this. I do not sure. think, I do not think the scripture actually does reference purgatory or a place of decision-making after death. I do not agree with him. Now, Jerry was a great uh, professor when I was in seminary, and you know the rest of his stuff is solid, but read these things because they're very, very interesting, and he has done the hard academic work behind it to, to make the stand he takes, and so I am very appreciative um, of that because he makes you, think of, makes you think of hard things. Well, all I know is I'm going to heaven. I'm going to let you guys figure out if purgatory is a thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to be there whether it takes me an hour or two years. I'm going to be there. <laughs> We're going to fi- we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Oh, me? Um, <laughs> That's do, so funny. <laughs> do you think— um, Keep it simple. <laughs> and I think we've kind of tipped our he- hand at this, but um, I got just to thinking, um, I mean, God's love, does it negate hell, or do you think that God's love is— like how does how do, how does how do you rec, how do you reconcile God is love and hell? Well, I think I think Jim has already said something yeah. you know to the effect of God's God's holy, and um, um, a holy God can't be uh, with and in the presence of of something unholy. It will burn um, it away. And you know, and then I think there's a whole idea of. Um, we we just have a just misconstrued understanding of what love is. Wesley yeah. would call it a holy love. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 think of a we think of a fruit fruit love like you know <laughs> peace and harmony and um, everybody. Let's just you know whatever. But um, there's it's the kind of the idea of tough love. I mean, there's to love someone is to um, is to allow the consequences of their actions to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, God has thrown plenty of grace. Um, and, uh, by sending Jesus again, we like to talk about Jesus, but, um, and we're going to talk about him some more, but, yeah. um, yeah, I think, um, I think hell is a part of God's love. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. um, and and we could all three agree that I mean God is not sending people like it's not this sense of Him going okay I don't like you anymore so you're going to hell this is a the the whole point of the the first part of our 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 episode this time this week is our responsibility in this right mm-hmm. yeah and and we do get into some pastoral concerns there there's also there's a I can't remember who said this. But the idea is that God would will that everybody goes to heaven. If you don't, it's because you chose not to. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a sense that just because God loves you doesn't mean that he's going to permit or enjoy everything that we do. Mm-hmm. The yeah. same way that we can, we can turn that and think about it with the metaphor of our own relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sometimes the greatest act of love will be to make somebody feel their consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, very sadly, the greatest act of love means that you can't be, you know, you need to go over here. Well, yeah. God, God, God is not going to take away our free will. Right. Um, you don't and, lose it at your salvation. That's absolutely true. Right. right. And so that God's, we're going to hang, God's going to let us hang on to our free will and, yeah. until the very, until the very end. So. Let me flip this on the other end, because we're talking about the, the we're talking about me being the one who is accepted or unaccepted, but let's, let's talk about, let's say how loving is it for those who have been saved? How loving is it as God has lifted them out of oppression and lifted them out of their sin to, for God to say, 
I am just, but I'm not going to do anything. I will not, there's no account. Mm -hmm. Like I told you, Mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 so love, love, love is just right. Love is just now few minutes, pastoral concerns. Um, so we don't need to run around telling people that they're going to go to hell when we don't know. True. People need to know about the reality of hell. Yes. Um, I don't want to scare anybody to death. I want to, I want people to come to know Jesus. Some of these things are scary and scare people away. What, what's that about? I don't know the answers. I don't even, you know, have you seen that? Talk about hell, talk about sin, talk about accountability scares people away. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I guess I, I have seen that, that, you know, you keep talking. Yeah. Because, but I think what scares people away is um, in many time po- points is that we're pointing out things they don't want to deal with. Right. Well, here's, here's the thing, maybe better words for what I was trying to say. Um, this bad thing happened to me. If God is wrathful and mad and I'm in the misery of whatever is, am I sick because I was punished uh, for my sin? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the kind of stuff we need to be careful of and yeah. recognize, hey, look, there's so much more nuance. Right. It might be because of the estate in which we were born into that there are miseries in this life. Right. But it doesn't mean that just because you got sick that, man, you messed up and this is your punishment. Right. That may happen. That may happen, though. But, but, but that, that's right. You take the the yeah. lifelong alcoholic who gets cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, that's consequence of their addiction. Sure. I mean, you, you, there are conse- there are physical consequences. But I do like the pastoral thing of saying being honest, but also being not going around and putting you know you're just telling everybody they're going to hell. Well, and I think I think. In, at least in our denomination, we definitely err on the side of grace. And whereas historically other denominations in our area have been hellfire and brimstone, um, or at least in the, you know, um, in the past. And so I think there's a balance. Like, I mean, you, telling everybody they're going to hell every Sunday is probably not the wisest choice. And um, preaching love and grace without any accountability or holiness is probably not a good idea. So there has to be some kind of balance of, of, of both sides of God's nature. Um, so, you know, one of the arguments you always hear against teaching on hell is, you know, Jesus taught more about money than he did on hell, but man, the things he taught about hell, listen, the separation of the goats and the sheep, the casting them out into eternal torment. I mean, he may have talked more, I guess, in ink space about uh, about uh, about money than he did hell. But the things he said about hell need to be taken seriously. It, it, Let it's me just, preach you a sermon about how money going to send you to hell. <laughs> That's true. We'll just put them together. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Uh, wow, uh, what a, what a big episode, Wesley. Yeah. Wesley with his his exacto knife, making it shorter. And just real quick, when you think about, hey, why did Wesley cut that out? One of the things this Wesley, would be question uh, 20. Why did he question cut out 20? Question, yeah. yeah, question 20 is simply that uh, he held a different view of what it, election means yes. than the catechism. He, he saw that the catechism led to what we would call a lo- the logical next step would be a double predestination, where if he predestined some, elected some to be redeemed by a redeemer, mm-hmm. then he therefore would, by choice and act, be damning others. Mm-hmm. And Wesley found that to uh, be inconsistent with the remainder of Scripture. Right. Well, and he also just, the whole idea of election that the Calvinist predestination type teaching was doing was not the view of, was not the right definition of election from Scripture, as he would say, that election in Scripture is talking about those who have put their faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. That they are, there is, they, they have become elected to become <laughs> sons and daughters of God. Mm. Um, and so that is, so it becomes a, what do you mean by this word? Right. Yeah. It, it, right. It, I mean, he really makes a, almost a philosophical argument on, I, well, on, on a theological. If by, the, the question is a, seems like a, um, um, a very nice question. Like yeah. we want to know, did God leave all mankind into this state that were, you know, um, and the answer is no, he didn't. 
And so you're like, why did Wesley, why did Wesley leave this out? I mean, this is because this is good news. Yes. Um, yeah. But, it but really it's that one word. Out, but it's that one word. And Wesley knows that, that if he doesn't strike that out, then, then it's going to can carry on throughout the catechism. And, and um, he wants to be, it. he wants to make it as clear as, as he can. So. But the question that he struck strikes out introduces to yes. us the topic we're going to be entering into for a little while, and that is the Redeemer, the one who has come to set us free, the one who has come to take care of the sin problem. And in our next episode, we are actually going to be dealing with question 21. And it's interesting because he actually edited this question as well. The, yeah. the question that came uh, from that was, who is the Redeemer of the elect? was the original question. Wesley's going to take out elect, and he's going to say, who is the redeemer of mankind? So we're now going to start getting into uh, the Jesus uh, the Jesus teachings, that there is a redeemer, his name is Jesus, and he has come for everyone, for God so loved the world, uh, the cosmos, um, as the Greek would be there. Um, and so this is going to be, uh, I, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, we, we've been, we've been, dealing a lot with sin um, in these past few episodes, past several episodes. Now we get to get into the, um, the correction of sin, the, 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 the medicine. As a former bishop of ours would like to say, the medicine in the message. The medicine uh, in the message. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm, well, I'm guys, pretty, yeah. that was one hell of an episode. <laughs> oh! And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> right. leave us some comments. Let us know what you think uh, yes. of any of the things that we shared. Um, we would love to hear from you. Can you tell them, Brett, how they could leave a voicemail so that they could get their voice live on, well, on our podcast so we can interact? Absolutely. We have a phone number. We have a voicemail, and that number is 404-635-6679. Call it up, leave a message, and your voice will be recorded, and we will put it on. Uh, we can put it on the show if you do that. Uh, hit us up on social media at Podakesis. Check out our devotional podcast, The Daily Song. Podcast. Just go look for it um, on Apple, on Spotify, or at podbean.com. Um, and we would be just love to see your comments and let us know what you think of that uh, sister podcast we've got going as well. We're so appreciative of you. Thank you for uh, being with us. Tell your friends, tell your family where to find us. And until next time, I'm Brett Med- Matt. What, what's my name? Blah, blah, blah. I am Brett Maddox. Speaking for Jim Mara and Alan Kaysen, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Thank you.